And if you take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And we're continuing in our study of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And we're looking at the kingly office. And we're going to be sort of using uh, Luke 17 as a jumping off point to discuss a little bit more about um, Christ, as we, particularly his teaching about the kingdom. And that's what we're looking at is the king and his kingdom. And so Luke chapter 17, and verse, we're going to read verses 20 through the end of the chapter, verse 37. Uh, but we're mainly going to be focusing this evening on verses 20 and verse 21 and then looking at some other passages as well. So just to, just to note what has happened here in, in Luke chapter 17, Christ has sought to encourage the disciples as they are dealing with um, failing faith, and he calls them to recognize that it's not a matter of the, the amount of faith that they have, but the object of their faith. That's the point of the if you have a grain of mustard seed. Um, it's not that that we're to look, and, and if we just have the smallest amount of faith, then we're going to be able to cast mountains into the sea. The point is that our faith is going to be small, it's going to be failing, but if our faith is placed in the right place, if it's placed in the King, then we'll find hope in Him. And Jesus has given some teaching here about how we need to be worthy servants for Him, obeying Him, and then He cleanses ten lepers. And so after doing this amazing um, miracle, which again, what we see with Christ doing these things is they're, they're shown to display his authority as king, his authority not just over the earthly realm, but his authority over all realms. Um, and so that comes to a head with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they begin to question him. And so in verse 20 of Luke chapter 17, after cleansing ten lepers, and then we only know that uh, um, there was only one that came back to give thanks to him for them. He says in verse 20, or in verse 20, Luke tells us, being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. So again, Christ is teaching about the kingdom. And what's ironic about this is his message before this, we've seen this already in Luke, what has his message? What has his message been? Repent. And believe the gospel. Why? The kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. It's here. And so these Pharisees continue in their disbelief, and their unbelief. When's the kingdom coming? And it's like, at some point, you're like, haven't you been listening? <laughs> it's here. But nonetheless, Jesus comes and he answers them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. For there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, so he's now changed the focus of who he's speaking to here. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the house stop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will 
lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said, where the corpse is. There the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for, um, again, your word. We thank you for the clarity at which it speaks to us. Lord, the problem with, the problem with us understanding your word is not with us. It is with us denying the truths of your word. It's not with your word, Father, but it's with us turning away from the truths that you've given And Lord, we thank you that your son came and spoke of hope found in him as king and in the kingdom that he is bringing. But Father, help us to recognize, Lord, that while we do not belong to this world, those who do belong to this world face a terrible consequence for their rebellion. And so, Father, as we've seen this past morning in second peter as we've been reminded over and over again in both first and second peter that we are pilgrims father may we seek as we interact with those who belong to this world to call them to this same path to call them to abandon this world to lose their life in this world so that they may gain citizenship in a kingdom from another world the world that is ruled and reigned by Christ. So, Father, work in our midst by your Spirit this evening. We pray all this in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. So, again, just to quickly review what we've talked about so far, Jesus' core message in his ministry was a message about the kingdom. Again, he is displaying his kingship in his teaching about the kingdom of God. We talked about this already. Christ came and he taught as one who had what? Authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. And that authority was primarily used to trumpet the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And we looked in Matthew and we looked in Luke. And particularly in Matthew 4 and in Mark 1.15, this preaching included, if you're this preaching of the kingdom, repent, believe, and the reason for repentance and belief, turning from your sin, turning to Christ, is the fact that the kingdom was at hand, that the king was here, and so the kingdom was at hand. And Christ demonstrated the reality of this kingdom through the proofs that he gave of his kingship in his, preach, or in his preaching, in the miracles that he did. Now, we talked a little bit about the message that the prophets had given about the coming king, that he would be a king that would rule in righteousness and peace. He would be a king who would defeat his enemies and rule over them, and that he would be a king who would serve as a mediator between God and man. He'd be a king who would suffer for the sake of his people, and he would be a king that would humbly enter his palatial city. And so the prophets spoke of what Christ would do, and we see in different ways how Christ fulfills all these things, including what we looked at here in Luke 17. Christ speaks of the day that's going to come when he is king, comes and reigns over all his enemies. He's going to bring about judgment and destruction on those who push against his reign. And so the message of the gospel was a message of good news. That's what gospel means, good news. It was a message that because Jesus the king had come, he had come to reign. And so there was hope that we we wouldn't have to be left in our sins. We didn't have to continue and persist in sin, but rather the king had come to invite people to come into the kingdom. They would just have to turn from their ways of sin and turn to Christ. And so all who would turn from other kingdoms and come to him would be granted access to the kingdom. Again, Jesus, we saw this this morning, all who come to Christ, he will in no wise cast out. What a wonderful hope. What a a message of welcome. The king comes and he says, come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you what? 
rest. The burdens that had been placed upon them by the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, the, the scribes and, and the religious system of that day, Christ came to relieve them of all that. And so he comes and says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that message, the kingdom is here, was a message not of a physical kingdom primarily, but of a spiritual kingdom. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 17 this evening. The kingdom that Jesus preached about sought not simply to restore the physical boundaries of God's people. Now, we have to recognize that one of the concerns of the Israelites at the time in the first century is they were expecting Christ to come and they were expecting him to set up a new kingdom on earth. Now, though they had lived for many, many years under oppressive Roman rule. And in fact, if we go back even further from the oppressive Roman rule, we we can go back and we can see that there was the Babylonian Empire that came and took away the northern kingdom. Then the Persian Empire came and took away the southern kingdom. And then during this time when Israel no longer had a nation at all, they didn't have any land, they were allowed by God's grace to return and to rebuild Jerusalem and and to build things up there. But it was never what it was originally supposed to be and then as the bible ends in malachi there's 400 years of silence and during that 400 years the greek empire comes up and and conquers all that persia had conquered and and they take israel underneath its power the romans then come and something unique happens with the romans in that they allow israel to have a level of self-government but they still had to continue to pay homage to Rome, and that's why, in particular, when Christ goes to the cross, the Jews couldn't kill him. They had to seek Pilate, the Roman ruler in that day, to kill a prisoner. And so there was great anticipation in the first century that the fullness of time had come. There was great anticipation that that the Messiah would come and would fix the physical injustices that they were facing as a people. And so when Jesus came on the scene and he began to display his power as king, the expectation was, well, now he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. In fact, a question that even the disciples asked him later on in his ministry. But Jesus comes and says, Look, the kingdom of God, as we saw in verse 20 of Luke 17, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be what? Observed. And the point that Christ makes here is the kingdom is not about what you think it's about. The kingdom is not primarily even about what you think it is about. The kingdom is about your souls, not the soil. The kingdom is about your salvation, not this physical world. And this was the great mistake made by Israel when they expected Messiah as king. Now, again, Jesus shows that he is a spiritual king throughout his ministry. How does he do this? Well, we read it this morning in Mark chapter 2. Here we see a physical sign of Christ's power. He heals this paralyzed man that his friends had been so desperate to get him to that they tore a hole in the roof of the, the people's house that he was at. I, I've always, wa- I, when I get to heaven, and I'm assuming that at some point, I'm assuming that the people that own that house will be in heaven. I don't know. But if they are, I'm going to be like, were you upset that they ripped a hole in your roof? <laughs> they lowered this man down, and here is Jesus And he is looking at somebody who is feeling the effects of sin in ways that many of us can't comprehend. He's disabled, severely disabled, so much so he can't, he has to have his friends carry him from place to place. And so Jesus looks at this man and he does not say immediately, Take up your bed and walk. What does he say? Your sins are forgiven you. Now, why would Jesus do that? 
And we know the reasons given there in Mark. He, he does this to, so that they would see that the Son of Man has power to not heal physically, but to what? Forgive sins. And so Jesus does this. He heals to show His authority over sins. And I love the question He asks the Pharisees because they're asking in their hearts, they're the grumbling in their hearts, well, what, what, who does this guy think He is? Only God can forgive sins. Uh, bingo. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Only God can forgive sins. And the connection that they made that this was blasphemy Listen, it's only blasphemy to claim to be God if you're not God. Is it blasphemy for God to claim to be God? No. And so Jesus says this, and so he he looks to them. And again, we also see the power of Christ on display here in the fact that he's reading their minds. We already know earlier on that, that, that the gospel writers talked about, nobody needed to tell Jesus anything about themselves because he knew what was in man. And we see that on display here. These Pharisees are, are questioning and doubting things, and you know, how, who does he think he is? And so Jesus turns to them and says, why do you say these things in your hearts? Boy, that would have been a shock. What do you, who, who, who is this guy? He can read my mind. He can read what I'm thinking. And then Jesus confronts them which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say rise take up your bed and walk and what's interesting here is the point that jesus is saying is the authority of his words is the same no matter what it would be just as easy for christ to tell this man to get up and walk as it is just as easy for him to forgive sins that both things flow from the same authority In fact, that his power to heal is an indication of his power to forgive. And so he says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he says to the man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And what happened? He rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, our tendency is to want to focus on the temporal relief that Christ gave to that man. Look at this amazing miracle. Look at how he's healed me. But Christ is pointing to something much deeply, much more deeper rooted within, this, within the, the problem that this man has. And again, he's not necessarily pointing out that this man's sin caused this, but sin itself and the curse working its way through this world caused that defect in this man. And so sin being the ultimate problem, Jesus gets at the ultimate problem. I forgive you of your sins. He's the only one who has the right, the authority as king to banish sin and its effects. And so he heals to show his authority over sin. Christ came not primarily as a king to relieve physical suffering or to turn back injustices from a temporal viewpoint, but rather he came to provide salvation from sins, a spiritual reality. And so that's why he says in Luke 17, the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed. We see this when Jesus is before Pilate and he proclaimed the spiritual nature of his kingdom before Pilate. Now, we we know the story well. The Jews take Christ before Pilate because they they are following the law. We can't go about lynching people. Mob rule is not how Rome runs things. And what's really interesting here is that because Jesus does not come to bring a a physical, earthly revolution, those who desire in their hearts to overthrow the Roman government use and submit to the Roman government to kill Christ. There's a great irony there. And so they take Jesus before Pilate and, 
You know, Pilate is like, what is, what is happening here? He's been dealing with uprisings. He's been dealing with issues in, in Israel. There was a constant difficulty with those trying to, trying to uprise and, and push back Rome, and he would constantly have to put down rebellions throughout uh, Palestine. And so here they have someone else coming, and, and the Jews now are coming to him, and they're saying, he said that he is the king of the Jews. He made himself a king. Now, from Pilate's perspective, a heathen, unbelieving man, he sees another rebellion that needs to be squashed. But he's going to go about things orderly. And so Pilate enters his headquarters again, and he brings Jesus to him. And throughout the questioning that, Christ, that, that Pilate gave to Christ, he remained silent for the most of it. And so finally, Pilate asks him this question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus' answer here, if he would have said yes, guilty to the cross. And Pilate would have looked at him as guilty of rebellion. So Jesus, who is infinitely wise, doesn't answer his question directly, but rather asks him a question. He says, do you say this of your own accord, or did others tell it to you about me? And so Pilate is a little taken aback by this Jewish prisoner who would dare question the Roman procurator in Palestine. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now, what's interesting here is <laughs> he, by saying those points and seeing what has happened here, he's now realizing there is no true uprising that needs to be squashed because the Jewish people that would get behind an uprising are actually delivering Christ over to him. So we know something else is going on here. What have you done? And so Jesus answers him, and he tells him he's a king. He tells him he's a king, and he tells him that he has a kingdom, but it is a kingdom that is not of what? This world. And then he allays the concerns of Pilate about a rebellion. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Jesus contrasts the violence done to him by the Jewish leaders with how his own disciples have responded to this. They're not taking up arms. They're not fighting against what's happening here. And Jesus is saying, if I came to create a kingdom of this world, my disciples would fight. There would be great rebellion. And to be honest, and I mean, I'm sort of filling in the blanks here, but Pilate and the Roman powers would have no chance to push back the true rebellion that Jesus and his followers could bring. In fact, earlier on in this interaction, Pilate goes to Jesus and arrogantly says, don't you know that I have the authority to deliver you or to have you killed? And Jesus looks at him and is like, you don't have any authority over me unless it's granted to you by heaven. You puny little pilot. I mean, that's again added, little commentary added there. And so Jesus says, they would be fighting. They would not let me be delivered over to the Jews. But, Jesus reminds them, my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate, he gets it, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Now, here's the thing. What, what has the message of Christ been from the beginning? Repent, believe the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message. This is the purpose for which he was born. 
This is why he came into the world. He's witnessing to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I think what's remarkable here is that that Jesus is sharing the gospel with Pilate here. He's, He's giving him, to some extent, an opportunity here. If you want truth, listen to my voice. Jesus said this to his disciples. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And of course, Pilate rejects Christ's appeal here and just essentially gives the mantra of the world in which we live in the day, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Their accusations that Christ had come to set himself up as a rebellious king against the Roman Empire were all lies. And Jesus himself says very clearly to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, and I have come into the world to speak the truth. And so there's an application for us to recognize that the kingdom of God that Christ came to bring is primarily a spiritual kingdom. It is primarily that for which he is seeking to set up and change people's hearts and souls, not to relieve them from the distressing circumstances of this life. He relieves us from the greater distress of sin. So Jesus proclaimed the spiritual nature of his kingdom to Pilate. Thirdly, we see that when Jesus commissions his disciples, he commissions them with proclaiming the coming of not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. Look in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. This is, he's commissioning these disciples to go out and to take the message of the gospel. Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, that same message that Christ is preaching, he's now preaching through the mouths of his disciples. And he says then, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, here's the thing. What, what has come near? Not overthrowing Roman oppression, not reestablishing Israel as a kingdom, What has come near is the truth. Turn to Christ. And so the message is, the kingdom's here. But then he also charges them, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God is, has come near. Now, what's, what's the significance of wiping off the dust of their feet? And I think we really look at that and, and see it is a further indication of the fact that the kingdom of, this wor- or the kingdom of Christ is not of this world in any way, shape, or form. So that when those reject, when those who reject the message, they're rejecting a spiritual kingdom and they're saying, I want to live for this dust. And so the disciples wipe off the dust from their feet. Say, we don't want anything to do with this world. We don't belong here. We're pilgrims. And the kingdom has come near. It surely has come near in the proclamation of the gospel. And then Jesus gives a very stern warning. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day, the day that he's spoken of in Luke 17, where he will come and execute justice on the earth. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So again, Jesus commissioned his disciples with proclaiming the coming of the spiritual kingdom. And then finally, and and I want us to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23 because I think the greatest demonstration of 
The spiritual nature of the kingdom is seen in the conversion of the thief on the cross. This is a remarkable passage, and it clearly demonstrates a great contrast between two kingdoms. Look with me, Luke chapter 23. We'll begin our reading in verse 32, and we'll read through verse 43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. Now, what is their scoffing focused on? I think it's so important that we see what they're saying. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him Sauron and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. So we first see this great conflict between kingdoms displayed in the jeering of the crowds. They knew that Jesus spoke of offering salvation and that he claimed he alone was the one who could save them. But what type of salvation did they want to be displayed? They wanted a salvation that saved from temporal circumstances. Listen, Christ, come down from the cross. Save yourself from the suffering that you're in. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, they even went so far as to offer belief in Him. If, if you come down, we will believe in you. They were looking to put a test upon Christ that sought, a again, at the very end, a physical deliverance. Save yourself from this physical agony, and then we'll believe you, and we'll follow you. And in many ways, this is the temptation of the devil come back again. Remember when we saw Christ as the conquering king over the devil's temptation? Listen, if you just bow down to me, I'll give you everything. And here we see that temptation in the form of the scoffers. Listen, come down from the cross. And certainly Christ could have done that, right? He could have called legions of angels to come and to stop what was happening. They had no conception of a spiritual kingdom. Christ could demonstrate His Lordship to them by providing physical deliverance for Himself. Physical, visible deliverance, but it had to be on their terms. So they persisted in their rebellion and their unbelief. And there's, again, a great irony here that in their taunting of Christ and their denying of Him as the Savior. At this moment, He is actually, at this moment, demonstrating His ultimate authority as King. There has never been a greater demonstration of the kingship of Christ than His work on the cross. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks as we see the greatest demonstration of Christ as King in His suffering as a Savior. So, again, the Jewish leaders, loving this present world, reject Him. And even when He's risen from the dead, even when it has been undeniably displayed that He is King, what do the religious rulers do? 
They spread a lie about him. They spread a conspiracy that the disciples came and stole his body away. And again, it shows you where their hearts are. They don't want a spiritual kingdom. They want physical deliverance now. I guarantee you if Jesus had come and said to them, I'm going to wipe away Rome, they would follow him. But that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to bring physical deliverance. He came to bring a spiritual kingdom. But then, not only do we see this contrast here, but we also see in the conversion of the thief, someone who seeks a spiritual kingdom. This is remarkable. Verse 39, we first see someone who is hanging there, dying, and continues to persist in rebellion. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Again, if you're the king, save us. Now, this man, from even human perspectives, was not worthy of saving. He was a murderer and a thief, and he deserved the punishment that he was getting. The state did not bear, the king does not bear the sword in vain. And that's exactly what's happening here. He is receiving the just reward of his actions. But what he wants Jesus to do is just overlook his sins and provide physical deliverance. He doesn't want to die. And so he brings that up. If you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. But then the other rebuked him. And here we see somebody who recognizes the spiritual nature of the kingdom. This is remarkable. The other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? We are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly we're receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into what? Your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What we see from this man are the basic elements needed to enter the kingdom. We see, first of all, he feared God. His rebuke at the other man was that he did not fear God. There was no fear of God in his eyes. He was stubborn and rebellious to the end, faced with the judgment upon him for his sin, and he's just not going to give up. He's not going to, what's the first word of the gospel? Repent. Even as he's hanging there, dying justly for what he's done, he's not going to repent. There's no fear of God before his eyes. And so, this criminal, though, shows that the beginning of wisdom comes from the fear of God. Fear of God flows from a proper, proper understanding of God's character and nature and then a proper understanding of yourself. This is so important to keep in mind. You cannot look at the glory of Christ or the glory of God and not also see who you are. That's why James speaks about the Word of God, which shows us the glory of Christ, the Word of God as a mirror. And it shows us who we are. And so he tells us to not be a forgetful reader. You know, you don't look at the, in the mirror and your hair's going one way and, and you know, everything's all messed up and, and you're like, ah, it looks pretty good. And then you go away forgetting what you've seen in the mirror. And what he's saying, the same thing here, the fear of the Lord begins with recognizing and seeing the greatness of God and then seeing how small you are. 
recognizing and mourning over your sin. That's the second thing we do. We see repentance in this criminal. He recognized that he had done wrong and that he was justly condemned, that he was being paid the wages of his deeds. He looks and also sees the reality that Christ had done nothing worthy of judgment. And so he he sees in Jesus the only one who can truly bring deliverance from him. He saw Christ clearly. So he saw himself clearly, and he saw Christ clearly. He saw Christ as innocent and sinless. And he also saw Christ as king. Whose kingdom was it that this man wanted to go into? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He saw Jesus as king. And then we see the final thing. So we see repentance. Remember the message of the gospel. Repent and what? Believe. And we see personal faith in this thief. He put his faith in Jesus for entrance into the kingdom. Remember me. Remember me. He had nothing to offer. There was only one person who could grant him entrance into the kingdom of God. It was Christ, the one who was suffering like he was. He came to the king, and by trusting in the king, he sought entrance into the kingdom. The king granted his request. He granted and honored his faith. Notice what he says. He said to him, truly. When, when that term is used, in the Greek it's the term amen. Verily, of a truth. And Jesus is, as he's already proclaimed to Pilate, he's the one who speaks truth. He has the words of truth. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this thief recognized this. Remember me. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal placed personal faith in Christ. And the king granted his request. He would do as the king had promised to do. Did this thief not die physically? Was he delivered from the physical pain of the cross? No. In fact, his fate was a terrible one. He would have had his legs broken on the cross. And what that would have done is it would have not enabled him to push himself up to take a breath anymore. So he would have slowly suffocated to death. Jesus had already died at this point. He suffered immensely, immensely and justly for his sins. Not just his sins against God, but his sins against society. And he died. But don't for even a minute doubt the truth of what Christ said to him. The minute he gave up his life, the minute that his last breath was breathed, where was that thief? In paradise. He had gone beyond this world. He had found true spiritual deliverance. He was saved by Christ. And we see this glorious spiritual reality 
in what Christ has done. Notice what Jesus said while he was on earth. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Here's the thing that we need to realize, that this thief had been chosen by the eternal God from before the foundation of the world to be in the kingdom. And there was nothing that was going to stop Christ from saving His own. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone, including a thief in the last moments on this earth, breathing his last and looking to Christ, repenting of his life of sin and placing personal faith in him alone, including him, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Today, this thief, this one who rebelled against God, who murdered, who stole, but who turned to Christ in faith and turned from his sin, you know where he is today? He's still in paradise. Now, what is it that makes paradise paradise? It's those words, you will be with me. Paradise is wherever Jesus is. What a, what a demonstration of the fact that the kingdom that Christ came to bring was not a kingdom of this world. This thief in his last breaths recognized this. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There are lots of people who are like the scribes and Pharisees in this world, aren't there? I'll believe in Jesus only if he does what I want him to do physically. Only if he heals my problems fixes my difficulties, takes care of my health issues, then I'll believe in Him. As long as Jesus does for me what I want, as long as He brings a kingdom that physically fixes things for me, then yeah, I'm okay with Jesus. And Jesus would look at those people and they'd say, you're not trusting in the King. I've met people who have been stubborn like this man on the cross. who persisted in stubborn rebellion to the end. But praise God, there are many, few, but yet many, who have turned to Christ and said, remember me. Recognizing that their only hope was found in Him alone. We need to remember this as we walk through this life. We who are God's people, who are God's children, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is coming not in ways that you can observe. Jesus didn't come here to make you healthy and wealthy and happy. He came to make you happy, but not happy in the things of this world. We need to dust off the soil of this world. We need to get it off of our feet. We are pilgrims. We don't belong here. And we need to look to a kingdom that is to come. 
The writer of Hebrews tells us, here we have no lasting city, but we wait for one to come. Jesus comes to bring a spiritual kingdom. Are you by faith trusting in Him as the King, the only one who can grant entrance? And then if you are, are you living that out in the way you react and respond to this world, this physical world that is not His kingdom? May we truly bow our knees to Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that your son saves sinners on crosses who call out to Christ and turn from their sin. Father, thank you that the kingdom is not a matter of things of this world, but rather it is a transformative kingdom that forgives us of sin and gives us hope not in this world but in the kingdom of your Son. Father, Jesus is King. Your Son is our King. May we live that reality every day. Thank you for your word. Take it and apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray all this in Christ's precious name, pleading His blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.